RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Joining us are Aaron Harvey and Rich Sheppes. They are the co-authors of this magnificent book, Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series. Oh, there it is from Weldon Owen Books. Now, you've got comments, you've got questions, they've got answers or just witty comebacks. So now is the time to give us a ring and get this party started. Now, I know you're out there. And I want to, as we do each week, say hello. So I'm going to give it a look right now and say hello to everybody who's in the chat. Well, there's uh, there's Kenneth, uh, there's Stephen, there's Scott, there's David, and uh, there's other Scott. We got two Scots, Dos, Dos Scots joining us tonight. We got Leslie, we got Eli, we got Michael, we got Carlos, we got Pam, we got Barry, we got Alan, we got Jessica. Uh, so, well, Stephen says the dynamic duo is back together. Well, maybe not. That's okay. I'll keep it dynamic for you, Steve. It's all good. We'll be able to do this. Carlos says such a pretty book. And yes, Carlos, we are going to get deep into this book tonight. And there's Vicky and uh, Jeff. And thank you, everybody, for saying hello. And I hope that you will join us because now is the time. Call us 669-900-6833 or click on that link because, hey, I can see you and hear from you at the same time. It's a miracle, right? So do that. And we'll talk to you very soon. Now, coming up, uh, New York Comic Con is this coming weekend. There will be a bit of Trek activity there with the official panel, touching on Picard and Discovery, of course. And if you're there, say hi to Elijah from Priority One and Sue from Women at Warp, who will be representing the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And I do want to bring everybody's attention to next week's live show. Now, if you've been watching or listening for a while, you know that we like to blend real science with science fiction from time to time. And I am thrilled that next week we get to welcome an astronaut to our little show. Dr. Robert Thirsk holds the Canadian Space Agency record for the longest time spent in space, more than 204 days, in fact. So we'll have a conversation about the nuts and bolts of life in orbit, as well as the lessons learned while he was there. And yes, there is a Star Trek tie-in, primarily in terms of leadership and cooperation and uh, uh, space. So join us for what will be a fascinating conversation. That will be live Tuesday, October 8th at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern right here at facebook.com slash mission log pod or at youtube.com slash Roddenberry prod. Let's jump over to the poll question, shall we? Last week, we also had a scientist on Dr. Robert Hurt, and we had a science themed question for all of you. And that question was, how important is scientific accuracy in science fiction? Split pretty evenly. 48% of you said very. 52% of you said not very. Be interested to hear some of the details on that. I think a lot of people were making the case for the idea that, well, you can only get so far with real science, but sometimes you just have to swallow a whole bunch of non-science to at least get the story going in the way the story needs to go. But they want some plausibility at the background of it all. Now, this week, since we're talking about the animated series, well, this seemed like a natural. We had to ask all of you, which animated Star Trek character would you rather see in live action Star Trek? Now, the last time I looked, we had a choice between two, Mares and Eriks. And Mares was leading with 57%, poor Eriks with only 43%. We'll talk about 
maybe how I feel about that, maybe how our guests feel about that in just a second. So, again, everybody, give us a call. Pick up the phone, dial 669-900-6833, or click on the Zoom meeting link, and Earl will patch you in. Without further ado, let's talk about Star Trek, the animated series. Yes, that much maligned, unfairly overlooked, but I I tell you, it's had a bit of a renaissance in the last few years. And in fact, I'm so into it that I was listening to the soundtrack as I was writing my notes for tonight's show, I was doing that on repeat several times because it's only 15 minutes long, but it is a great 15 minutes. And here to shed some more light on TAS, our special guests welcome Aaron Harvey and Rich Shepis. Friend Aaron, friend Rich, (laughs) welcome to the show. Hey. Hello. (laughs) Hey. It's 22 minutes, not 15 minutes. Well, now, wait a minute. There, there are two YouTube uh, uh, listings for it. One is about 1540. The other one's about 19 and some change. And the only difference I could tell is that they dropped the uh, uh, the titles again at the end. So I, I'm going I don't know. through the, the recreated La La Land uh, soundtrack that was for the 50th anniversary. Yeah. OK, that, that's what I'm using. All right. All right. And John, <laughs> hey, I yeah. did use that. I actually played that a lot while I was writing. Yeah. How good is that? You you have that you have the action music. That's my favorite. I always look forward to the action music in there. Um, (laughs) it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Um, Rich, uh, let me start with you. We always ask our guests to tell us a bit about their Trek fandom. And I'm just curious, the the nutshell version of it, what got you into Trek and what got you here? Um my mom got me into Trek, actually. I just remember when my earliest memories, um, watching Star Trek and syndication with my mom. And I, I remember having the old Mego Scotty figure. I don't know if I had the others. I'm probably sure I did, but for some reason that red shirt stuck out and luckily I didn't demolish him or destroy him. So he lives to tell the tale. Um, and then, you know, I was always a Trekkie, um, uh, you know, growing up in um, Philadelphia, uh, we watched it in, in reruns, you know, before next generation. So it's, you saw every episode a lot. You know, I was lucky. I was in the major market, so it was always on. And then um, TNG came on, and, you know, I was actually in high school then and college. So I was in for it a little bit and out for it for a little bit, but um, just stayed with it. You know, love Star Trek. And then eventually my professional career as a writer, and, you know, I, I enjoyed doing Trek movie for, I think, about a year. And that's how Aaron and I met. And, and then from there, I just, you know, I became, I was always been a Star Trek fan, but then, it was like the perfect marriage because now I could do something I love to do with something that I love. And that's how I ended up, you know, working on the book. Nice. And then, uh, Aaron, same question to you. Uh, yeah, I started watching it with my grandfather, Star Trek. And I remember when the original series would run in reruns and the animated series was new or newly rerunning. And as a kid, I'd always confuse like which one was going to be which because I didn't understand programming, but it was like, oh, it's 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. That does not mean the live action one will be on. Um, and so I would always, because that intro is to a kid, a really young kid, it looks very similar to the live action one. So it was it was always confusing. But yeah. um, no, I, I was always a Star Trek fan. Uh, like I said, I was kind of my grandfather brought me into it. And then uh, more so of a fan after Star Wars came out because my grandmother was confused and always bought me Star Trek stuff. When I clearly wanted Star Wars things, so, right, right? I got all sorts. 
anything. Nope. Like, I, I think that was just a, the universe telling me, no, this way. Yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, Aaron, I think we're losing you a little bit. So uh, from time to time, you <laughs> seem to be dropping out a little bit. But yeah, I, oh, I wanted to mention that, you know, uh, so you and I are around the same age. And, and there was a time there in the mid 70s where the original series was in heavy rerun. TAS was new or had just been new. So Star Trek merchandising, everything Star Trek was this weird kind of blend of the two. Like yeah. Amigo action figures and play sets, the color forms. I remember the color forms very well. It just sort of all yeah. of that visually was very much the same. But at the same time, a lot of what was being written about Star Trek kind of segregated TAS with TOS. Um, so this is really the first time that we've had an official book solely dedicated to the animated series. And um, did, did you guys go to CBS? Did CBS come to you and say, oh, hey, it's 45 years later. We should have this. <laughs> what, hey, it sounds that? like uh, sounds like John was reading our pitch there, Aaron. Yeah. We, <laughs> right. we, we, you know, Aaron and I, um, we were both in a spot where, you know, we love what we do and we love doing it with, with the, the websites. And, you know, we just knew it was like time. Let's take this to the next step. And how do we do that? And, you know, we both recognize the animated series was such a, was such a great piece of Star Trek history is such a great piece of Star Trek history that really hasn't been explored or, um, given its due. So Aaron and I sat down and, um, we put together a pitch and we, uh, Originally, we were trying to figure out who was going to, um, we were trying to figure out, all right, how do we get in front of John Van Sitter's face? Cause that was, that's going to be the goal. <laughs> Cause you know, otherwise, yeah. like Aaron and I would say is like, all right, some intern's going to get it. It's going to sit in a folder and it's going to sit on a desk. That intern leaves the internship and then 20 years from now, somebody's going to find the pitch. Um, yeah. and then Aaron had, you had a couple different people that you knew. Um, was it Dave, uh, Rossi? Yeah, Dave Rossi, uh, Dayton Ward, you know, just basically kind of the, and, and, uh, my IDW connections, which turned out to yeah. be very Mike advantageous Johnson. because, yeah. So, but we both knew Mike. Um, it was, and it was that's funny who, too. Cause with Mike, he was like, when I talked to Mike on the phone, I just said, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know we're doing this project. And I was all excited. And, um, I said, would you mind taking a look at it for us? I didn't, I wasn't even thinking of asking him to like be the, the, the handoff person because I just didn't. I didn't really think of it like that. I said, yeah, yeah, no right. problem, no problem. And then he read the pitch and he was all excited. He goes, I want to buy this book. And he's like, would you like me to hand it to John for you guys? And we're like, oh, yeah. Nah, that'd be awesome. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we knew, though, in order for this book to be a success, it had to be licensed by CBS. I mean, the animated series, the, the joy of it is that visual joy as well. And if you're going to do a book on the animated series, it has to have a heavy visual component. Um, and luckily we had, um, the best designer out there who you, as you can see, John, that book laid out is just unbelievable. It makes the book, um, you know, it's, it's like the, uh, thank you. You know, it doesn't matter what other ingredients are in there. If you, if you don't like what you're looking at and yeah. So Mike Johnson really, uh, he'd be the first guy, right? Aaron, I think that he gets a lot of that credit for helping. Yeah, no, for sure. And then after that, I think it was like a cascade of coincidences or, and like good luck where it was just, you know, we basically get the, uh, you know, it could take three weeks, three months, three years or never speech followed by like shortly afterwards an email with like, oh, we have somebody who wants to buy it. Like what? Yeah. It was just like we had set our alarms to like or our calendars to check back in December of that year. Um, and it was just, yeah, I think 
just a month or two later that they yeah. had like all this stuff going. It was just, it was, it was basically a, a something that never happened. So when people, I had a friend who wanted me to talk to his class about writing a book. I'm like, I don't want them to hear this story because they're going to think it's that easy and it's not. Oh yeah. Um, it's just, you know, this cascade of, of, of really good luck. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, uh, I, I think it was the right time. There's a lot to do with the, uh, the 45th anniversary. It just happened. You know, we were moving into an era where Star Trek itself was just coming back and we're in a culture where everybody collects everything and, and you have to have basically everybody wants all the knowledge. There's, obscure YouTube channels about, you know, old clocks and stuff like that. Right. It depends. Right. So I think that it was, it was rife for, for being explored because it really kind of hadn't been, you know, that's a, something we had been doing on my, my, uh, podcast. And mm. the question we had when we first started that, we had like a poll question about what your favorite episodes were and stuff. And somebody added to it that it's like, there's an animated series. The question wow. mark, like people hadn't even known that it existed. And so I think. Before the 50th anniversary, it, it was it was a little bit more obscure, and now yeah. now that we have a new animated a set of animated shows coming out, I think it's all having a resurgence. Well, I, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up. There was somebody in the chat, uh, Kenneth, who uh, I, I think a few people have answered him, but he, he said something along the lines of not being able to find it, not being able to watch it. Um, oh, oh, boy, Kenneth, do I have good news for you. Now, uh, they did a, a great DVD set of the animated series in around 2007, I think. That thing is fantastic. 2006? Uh, yeah. 2006, 2007. And then uh, in the 50th anniversary, Blue Blu-ray set, uh, you could get the remastered Blu-ray version of the animated series. Uh, it is currently on CBS uh, streaming uh, on all access. There are a multitude of ways to watch it's on it. Netflix. Uh, it's on Netflix, and I highly encourage you and everybody else who has not seen it to watch it. They are great shows. Uh, we're certainly going to talk about the episodes coming up here in a moment. Talk about what's uh, uh, what makes them special, what makes them stand out. So uh, give it a look, Kenneth. Uh, if you're looking for that follow-up to essentially season four of the original series, that's what you're going to get. That's at least how a lot of people look at it. Um, I also want to go back to something really quickly. And here's the uh, beautiful box for the DVD. Yeah, yeah, they, they did a lovely job on that oh, DVD yeah. set. It, it is excellent. Yeah. There's good behind the yeah. scenes material there too. Um, now, Rich, you mentioned the yep. fantastic graphic design of the book, and of course, you were referring to Aaron's work. Uh, just oh, let us know, really, that really, work on the book. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, tell us what each of you did, what each of you contributed <laughs> to the book. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, the, the great thing was was that um, it was a it was a collaboration effort um, from the start, and you know. Um, I'm a writer by trade. I mean, I was an English teacher. I worked in, um, I did, uh, uh, public relations for college athletics, athletic communications for a number of years. And, um, I just love telling people stories. I mean, that was one of the things that I love being about Trek movies. So, um, basically I brought the words and, um, Aaron brought the, uh, the graphic design and the history. And between the two of us, we were able to do interviews with people, which was awesome. It was fun because, yeah. um, I like working with Aaron because we had different sets of ideas, but we also came to the project from different points of view. So maybe we'd be interested in interviewing Bob Klein and Aaron had like these are questions he wanted to ask. But then from the writing, from my writing background, I would always go in these questions, but sometimes he would hit things that I wouldn't even think of. And it was awesome. So it opens up. And vice versa, yeah. 
Yeah, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And it opened up other doors for us that, you know, which collaboration, that's that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, when you get to work with somebody, you get to share those things and, and tap into ideas, you know, um, that you didn't also have. Um, writer's rooms, I've got to be awesome for that because it's more than one person. It's more than one voice. And you can listen to different ideas and, and find different ways to do things. Right. Hey, uh, I, I, we have so many questions, so much to talk about, but I want to address something that is in the chat right now. Jeff sure. has what is probably one of the most frequently asked questions about TAS is the whole thing about one of the production team being colorblind true. So because of that, we got pink tribbles, pink Klingon armor, etc. Who would like to address that? Well, let me let me let Aaron address it, because Aaron, I think it'd be fun for Aaron to talk about it. But I do want to preface it with something, because I think it's really mm-hmm. important. Because um, uh, Andrew Robinson's little speech before and after the Deep Space Nine documentary, I thought that was great, talking about truth and about perception and about the truth through things. So it's like, it's funny because even after writing the book and having our notes from who we've spoken to, different people still say different things that work on the show. Aaron, why don't you take yeah. this the rest of the <laughs> Yeah, It feels very much like trying to interview people about Star Trek, the motion picture. You ask them three different things and they ask three different answers. And you're like, how did this movie ever get made? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, no. So the, the kind of condensed version is there is somebody who is colorblind, but the, that person did not have any, input or very little input on choosing the colors. Uh, the person who did choose the colors was colorist Irv Kaplan. And that was sort of his go-to color set. And I kind of think of me back, it's like TAS would be very different if it was just kind of colored quote unquote normally. I don't know if it would like, some of it wouldn't be as memorable. I think you wouldn't have like all those crazy seventies colors, but uh, he continued choosing colors all the way through until filmation closed down because you know, the question that I asked Bob Klein, who is sort of our go-to animator, uh, storyboarder guy, um, illustrator at Filmation was, okay, if he's colorblind, wouldn't somebody over the course of the decades that it was like had the, you know, I know that it was a very segmented sort of like art director stayed in their lane and, and people didn't merge a lot, which is very different than the modern kind of creative setting. But someone by now would have said, Hey, uh, maybe He-Man shouldn't have pink shorts, uh, you know, <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. He wasn't colorblind. It was like, that's just that was just that person's color choice. And that was, you know, people might not have agreed with it, but that was the kind of the the style. So that they had developed and that that's why that continued the way it did. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of color in TOS, obviously, but when you bring right. it to animation, you're, you're losing a lot of, uh, texture and dimensionality. So mm-hmm. when you've got a gray Klingon ship and you've got Klingons who are shades of gray and brown and black <laughs> in, in the set, in their world, Right. For some pretty dour animation. Yeah. <laughs> that would not exactly yeah. look great. Uh, particularly when you lose things like shading and dimensions. So yeah, yeah, it makes sense that they would be a little creative with the color palette. Um, yeah. so, so there's a little bit of truth there. Yes. Somebody on staff is colorblind, but that yes. wasn't the decision maker just saying, Oh, I'm going to make this whatever I feel like. Well, and related yeah. to that, we had... Um, well, no, you know, you know, it's funny. Wait, it, John, it was sorry. the decision maker because Irv Kaplan oh. decided, these are the colors I like, these are the colors I'm using. Oh, Kevin okay, Clay. all right. Yeah, yeah. That's what Bob told us. Bob's like, no, Irv likes these colors. This is what he's doing. <laughs> yes. Got it, got it. Yep. Nice. And, and you know, you, and part of that, I think the the whole urban legend that, you know, 
added to it is you had Dorothy Fontana saying, oh, we had to apologize to um, Larry. Larry Niven about the the pink uh, Kazinti ship, and it was just so horrible. And the we talked with with Larry Niven, and Larry's like, I've never had a problem with that. If you read the the um, the first book, uh, wow, why am I forgetting words now? Um, his the story that the Kazinti were first in. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that. They describe one of their ships as like a bright pink uh, hull body and blah, blah, blah. So it was like, it was actually fairly accurate. He said their planet was very super colorful and stuff. He goes, I didn't have a problem with it at all because that's how I described them. You know, it's yeah. funny. So, it probably means that Irv did all his homework and Dorothy did no homework. And that's how it got messed up. <laughs> I'm kidding, Dorothy. I'm kidding, Dorothy. I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to leave now. Goodbye. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so there's, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's also one of those things that you're doing this 45 years ago. You don't necessarily like, that's like, oh, sure, I'll tell this story or whatever. Nobody's ever going to care about this. You know? <laughs> sure, sure. So. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you have a spaceship, it can be whatever color you want. Right. Um, and, and second of all, uh, Shannon in the chat says pink is an honorable color for a Klingon. Yes, because if the Klingons color have blood. pink, then, it, then it's honorable. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, Shannon. No call Shannon. Yeah, no question about it. Um, so so, yeah, so wanna, that's, that's the story. That's great. Well, well, thank you. And, and I hope that cleared it up for, uh, for our listeners. And thanks for the question, Jeff. Um, yeah. I want to ask you guys. So you're fans of Star Trek overall. You're fans of Star Trek, the animated series. Um, what do you, you know, I, I hate to make, make you choose like a favorite child, but, but what do you like better in animated that maybe works better there than you get in live action track. What, what, what do you like better there? But then let's flip that around as well and find out what fails in animation compared to live action track. Um, do you want to go first, Rich? Yeah, sure. Okay. So um, the one thing I'd say about what works really well is um, exactly what Gene and, and Dorothy had said about the advantages of that animation for the show is just that, you could go to these alien vistas. You know, we got the Sea Vulcan, we got the Sea Vulcan Slorge. Um, you could see different spaceships, like the, the ship in the, uh, the, the premiere beyond the farthest star. With, it's just, it doesn't look like a ship that we'd ever see before. Um, there's a great story about that ship in the book as well with Bob Klein talking about designing it. And you're able to do things that a production budget wouldn't give you. You know, as far as the aliens go, look at them. I mean, you know, would you have been able to actually do that on screen in, in the time they had? And I think for me, the only downside um, is probably just, you know, you have less time to do story. Although, in a way, I felt that that helped those episodes because it was tighter, um, especially for the time that they had. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I was actually going to say the advantage, I think, is actually the pacing um, Mm -hmm. compared to... If you're taking a TOS story, sometimes there is you know, a lot of padding of just fighting or something where maybe that didn't need to happen. And, and if you condense that story, and you're also, because you're writing it not for children, but for an audience that might have children around, you've lost some of the, uh, you know, romance levels of, of people going after each other too. So there's, there's sort of removing that as a, a, big function of a, of a story or, or it, you know, there's still, there's still romance and love, but it's not, at the drawn out sort of level. Um, but I think it's the Harry Mudd kind of love. 
It's yeah, that well, that's that's its own thing. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking more like the Survivor or something like that. Oh, too sweet. Uh, yes. Um, so, yeah, she married a deflector dish. Uh, <laughs> somebody who can become a deflector dish. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think that um, one of the disadvantages, at least because of the specific animation we had now today, not as much, but you lost that like the emotional like connection between people with the way they look or mm-hmm. movement or a hand, like you, you didn't have a lot of that. It was just sort of the same pieces reused to save time. So, and sometimes just putting their hand over their mouth. So they didn't even have to animate the mouth. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, you don't have somebody giving a specific look like, okay, this means, you know, go, go knock this person out from behind or whatever. Um, That's a so, good point, Aaron. It's, you probably wouldn't appreciate the Bone Spock relationship or even the three of them together because of the looks that you would see in the original show. You right. really can't mimic them in the animated series. So unless you go in with that. Yeah, that you have to have that it already in your head when you go in and then it then it comes out. But if you've yeah. never seen the original series, you might not have picked that up. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was the disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's all fair. You know, the, the thing about the shows that always sticks with me is that pacing, that that 22 minutes is really tight because um, mm-hmm. you're, you're shaving off time for the intro and the outro. Um, and you have to tell a story with a coherent beginning, middle and end. <laughs> um, and very it, it's interesting that in TAS, very few of those stories feel padded. And in addition to that, there's a number of them that stand out that have big themes that have big yeah. ideas. So talk to me a little bit about your favorite episodes or the stories that really stand out to you. Um, I certainly know what mine are, but I, I want to hear, uh, <laughs> I want to hear what you guys say. Good. Aaron, you go first this time. Okay. Um, well, I think, you know, there's obviously yesteryear, which is sort of the, the default, everyone's favorite, mm-hmm. um, which I don't disagree with. I, I love the time travel aspect, like that we sit see Vulcan for the first time. There's all of Spock's backstory. There's, there's so much of that has been mined or brought into the future and, and formed his character moving forward from that moment. So that's, that's fantastic. But I think for me, I actually really like one of our planets is missing because it feels, very TOS. It's got a big message about, you know, just because something feels like a monster doesn't mean it is. It's, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's got elements that kind of eventually came up in TMP and in, in different episodes of TNG and pretty much every, every trek going forward. Um, but it also has everybody on the crew doing something. They all have their, po- their parts. They got Uhura basically patched Spock into the alien brain. They had, uh, Scotty figured out how to take the villi that was antimatter and, and power the ship. You get to see the inside of the warp nacelle for the first time. Um, so there was just a lot there that felt like, oh, this is a really good encapsulation of what the original series was. Yeah. And so I think for me that, that one really hits, hits home because it just, it has that Horta message and, and uh, just, there's just a lot of stuff in there. Um, nice. Yeah, that, how about you, Rich? Yeah, um, you know, obviously, uh, yesteryear is always up there for everybody, and um, and damn you for making me choose one of my children. No, um, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. the one that I'm drawn to more and more, especially after, um, and that one of the treats about the book, I get an interview, um, the writer of the episode, uh, Fred Bronson, 
uh, who went under the pseudonym Dan Culver was uh, the counterclock incident. Um, you know, from a from a Trekkie standpoint, getting to see the first captain of the Enterprise and being mentioned as first, that was a pretty cool up moment for Robert April being on board. But I just love that. Um, you know, again, that's a story that you probably can't tell on live action at the time. Um, you know, everybody de-aging. And, you know, obviously hilarity <laughs> ensues, you know, and, you know, Kirk finds, of course, hairpin to open up the uh, sensor on the door. But I love the idea that, you know, here's Robert April and, and, his, and his Dr. Sarah April being ushered off to retirement and you no longer can do anything beneficial for the world. And then they are put in a position where they have to save the ship because they're the only ones who can do it. Um, I think it, it spoke a lot. I don't, you know, I don't know if it was something that Fred was doing deliberately, but it spoke a lot to the fact that our society takes elderly people and we sort of dispose them. And this episode showed that, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to do because they still have things to help us with, even if it's just institutional memory. But the other part about that that I loved was that they were given a chance. Okay. We don't have to turn back. We don't, we can start all over again. Think about it. You get to live your <laughs> life again. And, that, yeah. and, and Fred even talked about the fact that there was a conversation about what they should do. And I love the fact that Robert says, I would never, I would never do anything differently. You know, this is the life we led and I loved it. And I think that was such a cool thing too, because as much as he was, you know, obviously melancholy about having to, you know, he's going to be retired and not have the same role as he would, you know, being captain of the enterprise, but mm -hmm. realizing that, you know, all right, listen, I've had my, my journey. It's, it's, you know, somebody else's chance to have that journey now. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great message in there and there's something really beautiful about, uh, Captain April's arc and, uh, having a life without regret. Um, also, dude, just get out of there and stay young and do it all over again. You're a font of knowledge and a great resource to Starfleet. Um, this is true. Chris Riker also, the, he made the decision for her, which was that's also did. something that would have happened See? today. Yeah. See, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Fred said today that would not have happened. He goes, yeah, no, I would happened. never have written it like that. <laughs> right. She would have been Dr. April. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, Chris Riker says, should real, and he has that in quotes. I think you mean live <laughs> action. Should live action Trek get body shields and use the transporter to de-age characters? Hey, Chris, they already did it with Dr. Pulaski. You can just throw somebody in the transporter, boom, DNA, mix and match, and you got a young Pulaski coming out the other end. Um, body shields, uh, maybe they don't look the same as they do in TAS, but uh, what do you guys say? I like the concept. I think it's it, it, it's one of those things that why wouldn't they have done it already in some form or fashion? You know, temporary, like emergency like shield or something like that for like if there's a a hull breach or something it doesn't have to be constant right imagine okay. if they had the animators working on the show with them at the same time because you have these two groups of people coming from different aspects making shows and they're like well what about these energy support belts oh we don't have to do these big clunky uh you, you know spacesuits that hide our actors completely yeah you know? yeah 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 Pretty brilliant. Hey, uh, at the bottom of the hour, normally we would drop in an ad or uh, in the past several weeks, we've been talking about uh, Scott Palm and we wrapped up his fundraiser. And thank you again to everybody who contributed. Uh, we will be giving you an update on that and his progress and everything that he's doing with the uh, heroic curriculum in the Pop Culture Hero Coalition. But tonight, tonight is a little bit different and have a little bit of fun. Um, I mentioned how beautiful this book is, how cool it is. And um, we want to give it away. 
In fact, we're going to give away a couple of these. So, um, oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm hanging on to this one that's in my hands. This is going home with me. But um, we are definitely going to give away a couple of copies. I'm going to give away one this week, and we're going to hold on to one that we will give away down the road, maybe at a convention, something like that. And Aaron and Rich have been kind enough to offer to sign it, so you will get a signed copy. Now, to make this fair, because a lot of you are watching right now live, but a lot more of you will be watching later or you'll be downloading the podcast later this week. Um, let's give this seven days. So next Tuesday, I'm going to draw a winner at random. And here's what I want you to do to participate. Going to make you work just a little bit for this. So the trivia question, and guys, don't spoil it. Don't just drop it into the feed right now. Wait, wait until this is over. The trivia question is, who or what is the Retlaw plant named after? Now, that was uh, a, an iconic uh, image moment from one of the episodes. We're not going to get into details here. We're not going to make it super easy. Who or what is the Retlaw plant from TAS named after? But here's what you have to do. Not just answer the question. And I, I see you, David. Don't put your hand down. Put your hand down. Don't answer <laughs> in the Facebook feed, okay? You need to go onto Twitter or Facebook and tag at Roddenberry, at Mission Log Pod, and the publisher of the book, at Weldon Owen. That's W-E-L-D-O-N-O-W-E-N. Put the answer to the trivia question there. Also, uh, do, do a hashtag or just something in there, Star Trek the Animated Series, so I know that what this is, uh, this is all about. I'm going to take all the correct answers. I'm going to pick a winner at random. And I will contact you via Twitter or Facebook and send you your book. So um, that's that. And uh, I, I again, yeah, you guys put, okay, stop. I see you. Yeah, I, I stop the trivia. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, only on Twitter, only on Facebook. Remember, tag at Roddenberry, at Weldon Owen, and at Mission Log Pod. That's so I get it. But the answer to the question, Star Trek, the animated series, who or what is a Retlaw plant named after? And you may very well get a copy of this book signed by the two authors. Now, those are our guests tonight, Aaron Harvey and Rich Sheppis. And you, yes, you can be on the phone or live on video with us. All you need to do is pick up the phone and call 669-900-6833. Again, that's 669-900-6833. Give us a call. You'll type in the meeting code. Earl will patch you in. Or better yet, let us see your beautiful face. Click on the Zoom link, and it'll just be like us having a conversation like we're doing right now with Rich and Aaron. Click on the Zoom link, and you will be in lickety-split. All right. So, guys, let's go back to the animated series. We've talked about our, our favorite episodes. Um, well, I, I didn't tell you mine. I mean, Aaron, you know mine. Yeah. Because yeah. we, yeah. I, I feel like... It's Adam's that, as well, I believe. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Magic's <laughs> Omega's 2. And, <laughs> and and here's the thing, though, and how sharper than a serpent's tooth. I think yeah. they complement each other. I think they're bookends mm. to a very heavy idea. And I, I think they they play into themes that you get in a lot of Star Trek. And it was funny, of course, when I got the book, I immediately turned to the chapter on Megas 2. And, and it was so funny to see, uh, okay, the writer had said, uh, well, we're going to do a thing about God. Gene's very excited about this. Oh, well, we can't talk about God. We'll make it the devil. Then we can talk about it. Then we can slip this idea in there. And it always just amuses me how Gene would try to get these ideas into the show. Um, and, and sometimes to great effect and sometimes not so much. But I particularly love the fact that a show that's on at 
you know, 830 in the morning on Saturday is telling these kids, uh, look, you know, this mythological or, or this this very important uh, uh, being that you're told knows everything about you and will punish you in the afterlife. Hey, he's just a guy drinking beer. And <laughs> he legit is. Yeah, <laughs> he, he ju- just needs to be understood. You know, just hang out with some people. <laughs> yeah, friends. Right, friend. It's a very subversive thing, and uh, and it's pretty great. Well, and it's funny as I'm saying that Brian is writing here. uh, There's this conversation going about the relative adult nature of Star Trek, and I Mm. think we all mean different things when we say that. Uh, Adult meaning adult ideas, adult concepts. Certainly, a show like Yesteryear dealing with. uh, dealing with the, the loss of, of an animal, you're dealing with death. Um, but Brian says, adult Star Trek, a devil-like being calling himself Lucian appears to save them. Lucian takes Captain Kirk and his crew to the magical planet of Megas 2, but when the Megans discover the presence of humans, they put them on trial the same way they were treated when they first visited Earth centuries earlier. It's a lot going on in that episode. So, yep. um Yes. Um, and, you know, it also helped me, too, because I never really understood that the Salem witch trials were actually, you know, beings from outer space. I think that's really cool mm-hmm. to learn that, you know, <laughs> yeah. from that episode. Right, right. right. Yeah, it, it's a, a fascinating idea. So, uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit more about animation as we talked about color palette and style. And I there's something about the animated series. And, and when you put it into context of when it debuted in 1973, Certainly compared to where we are now, you know, um, even though everybody working on the show insisted from the beginning, this is Star Trek. It, it's not Star Trek, but no, it, it's Star Trek. It was even uh, just called Star Trek. It, it was right. Right. It, it, calling it Star Trek, the animated series didn't come until much later. You know, yeah, home video release. Right. I think when to designate yeah. the differences between the, the shows right. on VHS or. The Animated Adventures of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> nice, Star- nice. Having Star Trek first. Yeah, Star Trek, the animated series, the animated adventures of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Right. Oh, wow. That's that, a that's, fun anagram. Sort yeah, of. That, that, that's a handful, you know. It loops back in on itself. <laughs> but, I, but I wonder, you know, animation, though, at the time is geared toward a Saturday morning broadcast audience. And we know that means kids. So you're making some concessions to that, yeah. even if the brain trust behind it is saying, no, we want to tell interesting, compelling stories. I wonder, you know, 45 years later, animation is a method of storytelling for all kinds of stories and for all kinds of audiences. I, was TAS just ahead of its time, you know, or, or did a different production approach have made it last longer. Um, if that was a time in 1973, 74, where you go, you know what, we're going to make a, a, essentially a PG rated, uh, you know, two hour animated movie just to keep making Star Trek. I, I wonder if that would have helped or hurt the cause. Yeah, that's I, a great question. That's a really interesting idea. I think it was ahead of its time. I think it's always been ahead of its time, um, especially the original series and the animated series. Um, and I love the fact that you bring up the fact, you know, there, there's movies now, like you said, there's so much told in animation today. And th- without realizing it, they probably owe a lot to, to the animated series because they didn't try to make a Saturday morning kids show. They made Star Trek and then they exposed their viewers to these ideas. Um, and I like that about it. I don't know if, you know, like 
part of the charm. It's like Doctor Who, like the original series. I, we, you know, CBS spent all that money and they did a great job remastering the episodes to sort of update the effects um, for new viewers. And and you can definitely see the draw to that, you know. But as a viewer, as a, you know, one of the old heads, I go back and I still like watching the original, the, the effects because that's what I remember. And while it was cool to watch the Enterprise, you know, you know, shoot its phasers at a planet or something like that, or even, you know, even when uh scotty's using the phaser to to weld open something and it doesn't actually shoot out it it wasn't about that for me it was about the story and the character so it didn't matter so like even with the animation for the animated series like the fact that it's like when we were watching the episodes for the book you know you're talking about like you said almost five decades old and but the i never really thought about the animation because again it was the story it was the characters but if you were to try to tell a two-hour movie with those characters in that animated form, wow, I don't know. That might be a little bit too much. You know, like I try to go back and watch Heavy Metal every once in a while, and it's like I got to break that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Well, and at one point, uh, there, Leonard Nimoy was discussing in an article that uh, about bringing the animated series to uh, the evening, to like seven yeah. o'clock time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that was also, you know, financially driven because they probably make more money if it was on an evening time slot. Um, but I think had that show had the right advertisers and knew who, what, you know, cause they, it's 1030 in the morning. They didn't really also count that like, okay, there's a lot of adults watching. So all of the commercials, which is kind of the way back then it was definitely, you know, yeah, they're, they're, prosperity was based on um that it was so it was all these kids toys and stuff and it wasn't really hitting all of the audience if there was a different set of commercials or in a different time period i think it might have actually continued on and definitely if it was made today it would have went past you know two seasons and people always say oh there's this abbreviated second season but that's kind of how cartoons used to be they would do two seasons at a time one was very long one was rather short and then they would rerun them for a couple years and mix them up because kids didn't know the difference between new and old shows yep which i always like found really insulting as a kid (laughs) yeah exactly you know it's funny too because when i was a teacher you know I realized I used a lot of pop culture references in class and I'd always have to keep up on things because every couple of years you'd have a new group of kids that didn't know those other references before. So like, you know, like, you know, seven and eight year old Aaron and Richard sitting in front of the TV. Well, when we're 10 and 11, we're probably watching something else now. Although we were too Trekkie, so it didn't matter. We did. But <laughs> the other kids, you know, some other people were experiencing for the first time, which I think is cool, you know, so you don't really realize that. Oh, there's only 22. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of like, you know, an adult primetime uh, animated series of this era, a little bit later, uh, Filmation, no less, Flash Gordon. Um, that was yeah. fantastic. And I, I didn't realize how good it was because I'm a big fan of Flash Gordon anyway, the original series and the 1980 film. Uh, but then I kind of went back and I think because of TAS, I think because of Star Trek, just looking at what else had been produced and who was producing it, uh, I came across a DVD of that and it's great. Um, so definitely if you're a, a flash fan or you just want to see something else from this period yeah. that has a little different feel to it, yeah. I would, uh, I'd recommend that. Hey, uh, we've got Lou standing by patiently. Lou has called in and, uh, we're, we're ready to say hi to him. Lou, how's it going tonight? John, is this the first time you've seen me? I think it is. And I see you're wearing a Trek trivia shirt. Are you, are you like a champion of Trek <laughs> trivia? <laughs> 
I, it- I am the country's classic Trek spurt. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Not your country. Not your country. Uh, wait, wait, country? which country are you in? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about two hours north of Ken. Uh, where Ken is right now or where Ken used where to Ken be? Where Ken normally lives. Normally. Uh, well, he used to be in New York. He lives in California now. Oh, I didn't know that. So if All you're right. two hours north of him, you're an hour north of me. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm from Canada. Let's, let's, uh, let's establish <laughs> I, that now. I let's love get Canada. A jelly donut and some Tim Hortons. Yeah, man. If you could send us some Tim Hortons coffee, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it'll be Might cold, be a little cold by the time the border, I think. No, man, and, a, bag of, and, a bag of milk and some ketchup chips would be great. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, um, I was so big a fan and so good at uh, the memorizing all the trivia that they wouldn't let me in, so I decided to start my own show. Ah, wow. Nice, wow. nice. That'll well, show them. Right. Well, well, welcome to the show tonight, Leo. Pleasure to meet you and see you in person. Uh, uh, what, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, well, uh, first, I should say that, and I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, and it mm-hmm. bears repeating, so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, it is because of Mission Log and you and Ken that I finally decided to watch Tass. I don't know if it was binge watching, but it was in the middle of where when you were doing the recaps, and I thought. You know, I'd actually, it's not going to take that long for me to, to watch this. <laughs> no, I had, no. Um, I had a, um, yeah, well, let's say I was setting the bar low because <laughs> I did not, I did, I'm not a big fan of uh, animation or anything. And mm-hmm. of course, I saw Yesteryear first and I was intrigued with that. And I just saw that of the 22 episodes, I'd say what, half or two thirds were really well written, really uh, intriguing. Because uh, I'm I'm big on as 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 an actor myself I'm big on the plot the storylines the uh, the writing the interactions and the character development and yeah. I found a surprising amount of that um, and uh, I was impressed enough with that and I, I stuck with it I was I was uh, I was quite pleased with it I actually have it's not a trivia question. Because okay. I don't know, I don't know if, if, if Aaron or Rich, which, which one would be able to answer a technical question? That's Is probably Aaron. It's more in Aaron's forte, the technical okay. part of it. <laughs> we were, because di- you were discussing this before, but I'm not sure if, if you answered because I had, I had two feeds streaming at me at once and I highly don't recommend that. <laughs> uh, um, if you use the transporter, to put an old, infirm, dying, injured person in, and use their previous pattern buffer, as they did with Pulaski in the Next Generation, to rejuvenate them. Or, or, or um, um, not one of our planets is. What's the last episode called? I can't can't remember. Counterclock incident. Counterclock incident. Exactly. So why is it that they um, that they rejuvenate their body into the twenty, twenty five, thirty year old body? but they keep the memories that they have and are the same person that they were a few minutes ago with the memories of 70, 80, 90 years of living. 
I think that's a fair question, and I, I, I don't know if, if you answered that or not. Uh, Lou, uh, but I'm sorry, Aaron. I, I, I'm going to let you finish. I'm doing a Kanye on you here. I apologize. I'm going to let you finish. But, but Lou, uh, you, you're speaking to the materialist at heart that is me. Uh, thank you for, for posing that question the way you did. Uh, the mind is the product of the brain. If you rewire the brain or reset the brain, you are rewiring and resetting the mind as well. So, yes, yes, you phrased it just right. We talked about that in uh, maybe in that episode, but I think we talked about it when they did the same thing to Dr. Pulaski at the end of uh, season two of TNG. That was uh, so re- long ago, John. I barely remember what happened last week. <laughs> well, you and me both, but I mean, that, that just happened to be one that I picked up. So sorry about that, but I just wanted to thank you for bringing that point up. Uh, Aaron, I, with apologies. <laughs> no, that's okay. What I will say is that in the novelization that they had for these stories uh, in the Lorelei signal where they were, where they could t- turned really old and then they used the transporter to reset them back to when they had first beamed down. They lost their memories. They didn't, they were just suddenly like, why are we here? What's going on? Now I need an explanation for the explanation. Ah. <laughs> that seems to be a little inconsistent. Uh, I, I, no, I don't have any collectibles, Aaron. They have uh, novelizations of of yeah. the animated series, and these are by Alan Dean Foster. Alan Dean right? Foster. Yeah. I read them. Uh, oh God! Right. Decades ago. Decades. But if you if you, I think it's one of those those concepts that would just have probably not flown really well trying to describe that on a children's or even like a, a cartoon show in that time period. I, I think if it, keep in mind that it was, it was supposedly intended for a young audience. Right. And but in these novelizations, okay. they yeah. do talk to that. So in that episode, I don't remember what they did in the counterclock incident, but I do remember <laughs> that in the Lorelei signal, the time period that they were on the planet that they had aged and then they fixed them. That was just gone for them. They didn't remember it. So that seems more accurate to, to what John was talking about. I guess. I guess then we have the the meta, not metaphysical. But the 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 question is if you if you are ill or injured or dying and you're in your seventies or eighties and have lived a full life mm-hmm. and you have the chance to be rejuvenated into you at twenty with no memory of what happened the last fifty years, would you take it? Because I was going to say yes, and now I'm thinking I don't know if hmm. I want to lose that lifetime of experience. And again, is that is that is that off topic, or is that a fair fair game? Well, I mean, everything's fair game. That that's a <laughs> that's a tough question, you know. Um, I mean, yeah. really, I, they I, had I, that I question in the episode. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, sorry, I, I didn't hear who was talking. Yeah, the characters had to address that question in the episode of Counterclock Incident. I mean, he had to decide, you know, they could have chosen to be younger and, you know, lived his life all over again, lived their lives all over again. Um, but they did have their know. memories, though. I, but they yeah, would still they would have, have their memories. memories and yeah. that, that's why I never understood why they, they, they wouldn't. They were satisfied with doing that. I, I, I definitely can tell you that would have been an easy decision. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Right. But if you lose – I guess it's more of a philosophical thing. If here's here's the depends, thing though. What kind of life you, you led? Yeah, and if you take me at seventy and okay. and put me back to me at twenty, but without the intervening memories, but time hasn't changed, right? It's still you know fifty years in the future. What it, it, yeah, it's still right. I, I'm still living uh, in the same year that my seventy year old self would be living. Uh, technologically, that's going to be a really interesting jump 
if I'm working yeah. on my 20 year old memories, uh, pre iPhone, um, pre you know, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of difficult stuff there to, to grasp. So, um, well, I don't know, could, but you could be speed taught with the implants that we'll have by then. So, oh, even better, even better. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Hey, Lou, thank you so much for calling in tonight. Uh, pleasure to meet you. We'll see you in person. I, I hope we're uh, we're allowed to call in again, right? Absolutely, we <laughs> encourage it. Yes. Thank you, John. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Rich. Thank, Thank you. you. See you next time. Hey, uh, really quickly, we'd like to remind everybody what else is happening on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, well, you can find out everything at podcast.roddenberry.com. Well, let's see. You got Mission Log. You got Mission Log Live. The Priority One Podcast, you can actually catch them live doing their show Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So just a couple hours before we go live, you can go see a uh, a live recording of Priority One, uh, gaffs and all. It's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Women at Warp, The Trek Files, uh, Daily Star Trek News. The newest member of the troupe is Shabam. And by the way, uh, I can't tell you, but uh, Women at Warp has got a big thing coming up on their next show. So, so I, I can't say, I can't, but, but just trust me that if you catch their feed, uh, I believe it's late Sunday night, early Monday morning when their episode gets posted. Oh, yeah, they got something big coming up next week. So Women at Warp and all the other shows you can find at podcast.roddenberry.com. Uh, guys, I, I see that we're running up against the clock here a little bit, but some questions remain, and we'll uh, we'll hit the chat again. Uh, Jeff, by the way, you were asking uh, which Flash Gordon if it was Defenders of the Earth. No, not exactly. This is 1979 a 24-part animated series that was done by uh, uh, Lou Scheimer and oh, uh, Norm Prescott from Filmation. It was going to be a feature film, uh, but then they narrowed it down to a series, but then they recut it into a feature called Flash Gordon, The Greatest Adventure of All. And it, it's just, it's cool. It's great. And if you love the 1980 movie like me, you'll see so much of the the style and everything kind of cross influencing there, uh, even though they, they had nothing to do each, with each other in a production. But uh, check it out. That was the flash that I was talking about. Um, guys, since we are running up against the clock here, uh, just a, a few last questions on the animated series. And hopefully we can do this again because there's so much to, to parse yeah, fun. about TAS. Yeah. Um, you did so much research for the book. I I want to know what's missing. And, and I don't, I, you know, you can answer that one way or another. You, you could tell me like, oh, there's this thing that I scanned or that we photographed that I wanted to put in that we didn't get to. But I want to know what's missing that you haven't found yet. That That's out there that you're like, oh, one day, like that's the ultimate TAS sort of missing link. That's what I want to see. Huh. Let's see. I would say the the uh, you know because as we did the research, it's it's pretty conclusive that the idea that that TAS wasn't canon was more a combination of people talking about not wanting to get into a lawsuit when filmation was dissolving, and um, Larry Niven was going to start an RPG. And they didn't want to like deal with the Kazinti. And so they're just like, Hey, just let's not use TAS for a while, which sort of mutated into 
this isn't canon. Let's strike it from the record. And so I, I want some sort of definitive memo that either says yay or nay. I don't know if but that exists. I don't think it would exist because like you said, it's no. years later, right? I mean, it would have to be right. written now. And we just well, wrote no, but it. I meant from the time from, because it's around uh, yeah. 1991 before Jean passed away. It sounded like that was when that kind of happened, but, but Dorothy says no. And, and there's, it's just, there's so much conclusive or so much evidence that, it's it was just a, a convenience of not re- referencing it as opposed to being decanonized and you know i i know that uh, when we did research on some things the people who supposedly say oh it's not canon actually got paid to do it so it's like i don't think they would so, let's just uh ignore this the thing that gave me a paycheck um so yeah I, well that's yeah. a really tough thing to answer i mean yeah. uh, of course because when they're making it the only thing that existed was tos Right. There is no promise of anything to come. No, no. I meant, but I meant in so, the nineties. Yeah, yeah. When, no, I, I, I get it. When yeah. that that rumor yeah. or that that sort of whatever it, whatever reason people think that it's not canon, whenever that happened, I would right. like to either see that that exists or it doesn't. Have somebody say yes, this is the, he wrote this note before he passed away, and here it is. Yeah, I know um, that was something that Aaron had on his mind when we were writing the book too, and you know, like he's like, oh, we got to get this in there, we got to get this in there, and. I, it's an interesting idea. And I, I feel like, you know, even we've basically treated it as canon. And yeah. We, and so it's like, it's in our opinion and the way we look at it, it's a CBS official book, you know, and the episodes and even discovery has, has gone and tapped into these things. So to us, it's canon, but because it's been this long standing urban legend of whether it is or not, it's always going to be up to debate for fans. You could show them that smoking gun memo probably and yes and they're right. gonna be like ah it's not canon Somebody oh yeah no we already show them the memo that that talks about the uh the badges and tos yeah it's being yes, like, yes no this is your main badge this is what it's supposed to be and there's right. two production errors and suddenly no that's what you're like okay whatever yeah <laughs> yeah well they go but but yeah i think that would you know for me that's that but uh we found so much stuff i'm trying i don't know what i don't know i think that's probably what i would yeah around. Yeah, I know that there's a lot, you know, it's a shame that we didn't get the chance to, you know, obviously, um, because of time, um, a lot of people probably, um, probably have passed a lot of the resources and artifacts. And I, I mentioned this in the book, have been lost to time with the, uh, the audio recordings for the original, for the music, you know, they had to take it yeah. off the dubs from the Blu-ray. Um, so that, you know, that's, they're the kind of things that I wish we would have had the opportunity. It's, you know, back then in, they were making quote unquote a cartoon. So nobody was keeping anything, you know, and we we're yeah. lucky Bob Klein kept those, all those storyboards. We were lucky that Gene and Majel, you know, kept everything they could, right. but I mean, there's still so much out there. It's lost. Look at Fred Bronson, man. I'd tell you what, like for me, that was that oh, yeah, out that those press cash. releases. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man. We got interviews in there that, you know, quite frankly, they probably never saw the light of day. I mean, because if you think about it, you know, if, if I'm running the Philadelphia Inquirer TV magazine, and, you know, I'm not promo- spending a lot of moments promoting the Star Trek animated show and, at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I'm going to be doing the primetime show. So all those quotes that he got and those great interviews, I mean, yeah. we got to include them in, in, in the book. And it's probably the first time I'd ever been seen. So it was like, well, that's pretty cool. So even though Gene couldn't be interviewed, even though Margaret Armin couldn't be interviewed, we still got to include their voices, which was pretty neat. Yeah, Matt Jeffries talking about the the drawing of the animated yeah. series ship. I'm like, that's kind of crazy. It's just ah, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. See, that that's super cool. Well, uh, look, we could have a whole other show just about uh, canonicity and people who listen <laughs> to uh, Mission Log. They know my feelings on the matter, oh, yeah. uh, which are, are complex. And uh, but at the end of the day, I always ask, is it Star Trek? That's all that matters. Is it Star Trek? Did it tell a Star Trek story? Did you like it? Cool. Keep enjoying. But remember, as Rick says, there's a 50 foot Spock out there somewhere. Yep, it's true. Never forget. We're just waiting. There's no movie coming out with that. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, with that, I guess all that's left to say is Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the irrepressible, incomparable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Remember, it's Mission Log, Mission Log Live. But in addition to that, Women at War, Priority One, the Trek Files, daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, that would be cool. Give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. we got fun items there, including early access videos to your weekly Mission Log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network.